was a bit uncertain how to start this evening's service. And Adriana mentioned, why don't you refer to your testimony? And it kind of fitted in some respect because I class myself as a God-fearer. I was one of these people that was on the edge who knew there was something more and just needed somebody <laughs> to come and tell me what that was. Um, so I, I remember some months back listening on the, uh, the radio, uh, Christian radio channel, and the question was, who would you identify most in the Bible? And people were ringing in, oh, I identify with this character or that character. And I thought, I don't know who I identify with. And I suppose thinking about my own life and my own testimony, I identify with the eunuch. He, he was a God-fearer. He was someone out on the outside who knew there was something more but didn't know really how to piece it together. And in, as part of my own life, I, I grew up in the Church of England, in the north of England, um, knew all the ceremonies, um, you know, when to kneel, when to stand up, you know, the order of service, you know, the 1980s alternative service book. I got to a stage where I could recite that quite well. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Big, thick, green book, you know. Um, but it, it, it wasn't being explained to me. Uh, and then, as a typical, you know, the story goes, you know, you, you leave home and go to university. And I came down to South Wales and I did a, a de degree in PhD in physics. And I always say I had a, a slit throat for physics. I was that passionate about it. And um, that became my life. That became the way I explained the way things were. And uh, I, I was so focused to say that life could be solved through science and f science, in particular physics. Every, th every problem could be rooted back to that and solved on that level, you know, like Newtonian clockwork. And I was really passionate about it and believed it with a passion um, until then I, I developed through the years and realised that nothing's solvable. And I think that was one of my big disappointments in life, that nothing's completely solvable and life isn't completely solvable. <laughs> and there's this big horrible thing called sin in our lives. Um, but I always say there's a mountaintop experience, and I had that, where you just sit there and go, there must be more than this. You look at the... The, the creation, as I call it now, you look up at the stars and you see the magnificence of God's hands. You see, you, you, you know, I'd studied it on a mathematical level uh, to see God expressing himself through physics in mathematics. You know, it's just beauty. There has to be a mind, an intellectual mind behind it all. Uh, if I could express what I saw in the beauty, in the basics, in the building blocks of quantum mechanics and relativistic theory and how God ordered the universe. It's staggering. It really is. And it, it just brought me to a case of awe. You know, it, this is not random. This is not uh, pure uh, slime out of the pond. There has to be, high, there has to be something uh, deeper. Uh, and that was the calling on my life. You know, God was showing himself to me within nature. You know, and, and I knew that the, through the liturgies of the church that I'd been brought up in that um, there was something more, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> and the, there was a missionary that came from Brazil. 
and I met her through learning Welsh at, uh, at the university. And um, she started, eventually started to show me the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, and she was passionate about the Old Testament, uh, Testament and the end time prophecies. And she'd show me how things were linked together. Look, it shows this in the Old Testament, uh, and it's prophesying this uh, in the New, and it's been fulfilled in Jesus. Oh my goodness, you're telling me that this is the God that I'm searching for? And uh, at the time she was saying, oh, read through Isaiah, read through Jeremiah. I mean, I had a good news Bible at the time, you know, it was, it was hard work. And, uh, and I'd come with questions, you know, and she'd explain things to me. And it's like, oh, wow. And, and, and then I'd see it, 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 it in the Gospels being expressed through Jesus. And, and then I started to understand the, why I was the way I was. Why was I so self-centred? Why did I do things that were wrong, but that I knew I shouldn't do? You know, and she started to explain to me sin uh, and the, 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 uh, uh, the issue that is with God and where that's come from, Adam and Eve. You know, this is quite a stretch to go from millions of years to 6,000 years. You know, if we, you see the direction, it's quite a, a jump. But you know, there was something inside me that said, this is right. <laughs> It's the call of God in my life, and, and uh, I testify here to an experience, it's like the eunuch experience. That missionary from Brazil was like Philip coming to me, the eunuch. I knew there was something more. I knew the, the, the scriptures, uh, I was aware of them. The scriptures were shown to me, the Old Testament, and I was given the key Jesus. And then I understood the need for Jesus and salvation. Praise God, another soul in heaven. Such a, a large turnaround, repentance. No longer did I have the worldly values. Straight away, I turned toward godly values. I started rejecting the world's view on, on how it looked at moral things. And I started adopting God's uh, view of moral things, moral aspects. Such a sharp change, a repentance, a change of heart. You know, sanctification, you know. And I remember uh, one particular call, and it was as if God was saying to me, right, you've done what you've wanted to do in your life, now you're going to work for me. You know, it's, it was amazing. And now to have that fulfillment, to have that direction, and something meaningful to do in life. So I identify greatly with the eunuch. You can ask who that missionary was later on after the service, and I bet you can guess who it was. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep you pondering. <laughs> Getting warm. So, so let's just go through the Word of God. You know, that's more important than, than my testimony and me. I don't really want this to be about me. I want this to be about God and what He's written and the Word. Um, so let, let's, let's just, just work our way through, through the text, you know. So, we're looking at um, chapter 8, you know, and along with Stephen, Philip was one of the seven men chosen to help the apostles minister to the early church. Um, referred to um, as Philip the Evangelist, he began his ministry in Samaria, well that's an important point, where he proclaimed uh, Christ boldly and with power. You know, may we proclaim Christ boldly with power and passion. 
Um, like the apostles, Philip had received the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit's power to cast out demons, to heal the sick. The Bible says that as a result of Philip's ministry in Samaria, there was much joy in the city. Or may, oh, uh, without getting as excited as I did yesterday, may you as a church be preaching the gospel in, this, in, in Cliddock, that there'd be much excitement in Cliddock for, for the Lord, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe you, I'm making assumptions there, you know, but you know that there'd be reports in the newspaper of what's happening here in Cluddit because of what the Lord is doing through you, you know, uh, and people will be looking towards what you're doing as a church. What what are they doing in Bethel? Well, they're preaching the word with with boldness, and there was much joy in the city. Here in the text, God led Philip to Gaza, where the preceding story was concerned with Samaria, a mass movement. Here, there is a single convert who comes from the far south. In the former story in Samaria, there was no special divine guidance, but here the Spirit is clearly overruling every step. But we see here part of the beginning of the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family, you know. We're going, as I say, we're going from a, a Jewish-centric to a Jewish and Gentile-centric, you know, which includes this God-fearer. So verse 26, And now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a, the desert place. Okay, Gaza was one of five cities of the Philistines. The original city was destroyed in the 1st century BC and a new city was built near the coast. The use of the angel of the Lord as a messenger is, is reminiscent of uh, the roles in the Old Testament. And we think of Elisha you know, uh, being told by the Spirit to, to go um, and see the king uh, of Samaria at the time to tell him, why are you going to be Beelzebub? Why are you going to Beelzebub? Is there no uh, God in Israel? You know, the Spirit was leading Elisha to do that in the Old Testament. And it's similar here. that The Spirit was leading um, Philip to, 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 to the eunuch. In Jewish thought, the angel of the Lord and the Spirit were closely related. But what is important is that there was now a deliberate move of God. Philip was directed south on his road, on this road, uh, that went from um, south from Jerusalem to Hebron and then west towards Gaza on the coast. This is a desert road which then lends more curiously in that an alternative translation in Greek is as noon, right? In other words, Philip was directed at noon and rather than Philip was directed to the south. You know, it's just two alternate translations. It's either noon or south. But what's interestingly, they both mean the same. Because at noon, the sun was in the south. <laughs> um, at noon, the sun was due south, and the road would have been deserted of travellers because of the heat. So it's like, God, the party's here in Samaria. This is where uh, <laughs> the, the action is. And you, you, you kind of take me into the desert where there's nobody about, and it's noon. There's got to be no one around because it's hot, you know, and... Mad dogs and Englishmen only go out in the desert sun, you know, in the midday sun. <laughs> I include myself in that, <laughs> right? 
And then verse 27, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. I somehow want to say Candice. Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, was in charge of all her treasure. Um, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. The Ethiopian was an official in the royal court of Ethiopia, located in what is now Sudan and Ethiopia. It was a large kingdom located in the south of Egypt. The Ethiopian was employed in the court service of the Queen Mother, Candace, who was known by her hereditary title of Candace and was effectively the ruler of the country. So this, this, was, this, this traveller was not nobody. <laughs> he, he, this, the, he, this unit was somebody. He, he, was a, he held a, a position of power. The man was a eunuch and as such was forbidden entry into the temple by Jewish law. And if you want to write this down, you'll, uh, I, won't, I won't read what Deuteronomy 23.1 says, but I'll, I'll leave you to go and read it yourself. The, you know, because of his physical condition, um, Deuteronomy 23 says he could not go into the temple. He was excluded from being uh, from temple worship because he was a eunuch. Although Isaiah, in 56.3-8, um, offered him a better deal in the future. And if I just read that, um, if you want to turn with me to Isaiah 56, 3 to 8. 56, 3 to 8, it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. This foreigner is referring to the eunuch. You know, he was separated because of Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. If you've got your phones, have a quick look at what it says there. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the, to the eunuchs who will keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and shall not be cut off. You know, the eunuch naturally couldn't have children. And uh, it's case of what well, God is saying, well, okay, you won't have this blessing, but you'll have a blessing in the future. You're not excluded. Isaiah 56 verses 3 to 8 offered him a better deal in the future. But this was no insignificant convert. This was the royal treasurer, a high official position. He had come to Jerusalem in order to worship there, to worship the, 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 the true living God. He could not be a proselyte even. And hence, he is referred to as a, a God-fearer. In other words, like Cornelius, Cornelius, a Gentile who had fully accepted the Jewish religion but had not undergone circumcision. And they were still seen as pagan by the Israeli Jews. So just see the, the, the devotion of, of the eunuch. He, he's excluded but yet he knows that there's something in him. He knows that there's something more to life. 
and, and he identifies that with the true living God, the, the God that the Jews worship, and he's going to Jerusalem to attend their, uh, their, their festivals, to worship with them. My goodness. He's excluded, but yet he wants to, to be part of the worship. And as we see later, he travelled three months to get there. You know, that's how long it would have taken. My word, I, I don't like going away nine weeks on these sorties to the south with my work, let alone three months travelling to Jerusalem on the back of a cart. 28. Um, so he'd gone to worship uh, to Jerusalem and was returning seated in the chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The God-fearer had probably been in Jerusalem on one of the pilgrim festivals and his journey to Jerusalem would have taken him there three months, a true sign of his sincerity in seeking the Lord. And to while away the hours, he was reading from the scroll containing part of the Jewish scriptures. He would have been on an ox-drawn uh, wagon, which uh, would have been moving at a, a walking pace, and hence why people, uh, Philip could have uh, kept up with it. In verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you were reading? Verse 31, And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Again, we read of Philip receiving a divine command and this time to cross social barriers. Just imagine, you've been asked to go, go, go hop on the, the, the Paddington train, the Swansea, knee, Swansea to Paddington train, seeing which station is closer to Cliddock, <laughs> to, to Paddington, uh, and go down to Westminster and knock on the door of the treasurer. Um, and... Tell him what I want you to tell him. Well, it's like, well, if, if I've got my working clothes on and, uh, you know, I've got my work boots on and I'm, <laughs> I've just come from the field, I'm covered in muck, you know, dust and my hands are all filthy and it's like, go on, David, get on the train and go and talk to the, uh, to the, to, to, to the Prime Minister or the, the, the Treasurer. Um, all right. You can naturally see him crushing social barriers, can't you? You know, I've got to get past the policeman at number 10 or number 11. <laughs> In this case of who are you? You can see the, the, the social division between Philip and the eunuch here. Uh, he was crossing social um, barriers. And that was because the Spirit had guided him. Uh, 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 and, and Philip would have needed reassurance to approach such a high-ranking official. I think I would as well. <laughs> you know, uh, in the ranks of academia, I'm not going to walk into the vice-chancellor's office and go, I want this. You know, I'd, I'd go through maybe my line manager, you know, the professor I work for, and talk it through to him. He'd go through to head of school and head of school and then possibly consider the, the committee and the committee then go to the vice-chancellor, you know? To cut all that palaver and go barging in with my work boots, <laughs> my high-vis jacket, it will like he won't be saying, "David, sit down. What do you want me to tell? What do you want to tell me?" No, I'd be crushing social barriers. The practice of the day was to read aloud, and Philip would have uh, heard him reading from Isaiah, to which he asked if God, the God-fearer, understood what he was reading. 
So I was reading the Old Testament. I didn't understand what I said, or what was read. I needed somebody, the, that Brazilian missionary, to, to explain it to me. Maybe we can assume that Philip's Jewish dress and accent would have given him credibility in being at the possible key to understanding what was being read. The Old Testament cannot be fully understood without the key to unlock the mysteries. And what's that key? That key is Jesus Christ. Jesus has provided such a key for the disciples. Um, and now Philip was called upon in the same way. Philip was provided with a golden evangelistic opportunity through the hand of God. And he asked the question, is God giving you today, this week, a golden opportunity to evangelise to that person that he, he's put on your heart? In the same way that um, Philip was given this golden opportunity. I, I, have you got golden opportunities coming up to, to evangelise that high-ranking official. <laughs> Just a question. Let's be aware of these, these things. You know, and uh, I challenge myself to sit down with my boss uh, and say, right, come on, let's talk about life after death. <laughs> you know, I might have... Yeah, it, it, it makes me think. I, I definitely want um, the, the reassurance and the boldness of... Uh, the Holy Spirit, but given the opportunity and the golden opportunity, I'd like, having read this, to have the boldness to go and do it. And for verse 20, 32, now the passage of scripture that I was reading was, uh, was this. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from him. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or, or someone else? That's, that's verses 32, 33 and 34. Now the God-fearer does not ask what the verse means, but whose is the experience? Isaiah's? Or who Isaiah was describing? And Isaiah 53 forwards, uh, 53, 7 onwards, comes from a passage of prophecy um, which refers to a, a servant of God who suffers humiliation of all kinds and bears the sins of others. He thus makes some kind of atonement for the sins and is finally exalted by God. Isaiah 53, let's just have a look at that. I'm sure you're familiar with, with, the, with the songs of the servants. Isaiah 53 Verses 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was <coughs> taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Um, he has put him to grief. When his, he, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge, uh, knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make, make many to um, account righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. So I've said, it's a passage of prophecy which refers to the servant of God who suffers humiliation of all kinds and bears the sins of others. He thus makes some kind of atonement for their sins, Good Friday, and is finally exalted by God, Good Friday going to Easter Sunday. <laughs> Now the eunuch, his confusion was understandable. Even the Jewish experts were divided on the meaning of this passage. Some believed that the slaughtered sheep represented Israel. Others thought Isaiah was referring to himself. And another thought the Messiah was Isaiah's subject. What is not clear is whether the servant was equating, equated um, with the expected son of David, who would establish God's final rule in Israel. Of course, this would be our view, and above all, that Jesus saw himself as the fulfilling role of the servant. So there were various views as to who this was written in the text, and the eunuch would have had these different views. Is it Isaiah? Is it Isaiah's subject? Is it Israel? Who, who is this suffering servant? And Philip comes to clarify the situation and explain, no, it's none of these. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And he does that by exactly, uh, if you like, what, what we would do this week, considering uh, each day, um, uh, the progression, or we call it stations of the cross, you know what I mean? Each day would represent you know, Sunday, um, Palm Sunday, Monday, the cleansing of the temple, all the way through to Good Friday, and then Sunday, the resurrection. You know, he, he would have explained it in the life of Jesus and said, look, the suffering servant, in particular, the way he was led to, uh, to crucifixion as a lamb to the slaughter without, without any... Uh, 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 with a silent lamb to the slaughter, without any um, um, uh, resistance, pointed to the fact that this was the Messiah. This uh, that's written here in Isaiah. Jesus was the Messiah that was uh, alluded to in this text. So, verse thirty-five. Then Philip opened his mouth and began. Uh, beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The good news. The good news is that it's no longer we have to do it. <laughs> I'm thinking of Martin Luther and the Reformation. You know, it's no longer by works, but it's by faith. Thank you. <laughs> faith alone. <laughs> it's not by works. To open one's mouth is a phrase used when a significant weighty utterance follows. 
Here then is the climax of the conversation as Philip declares the good news of Jesus. And I'm thinking of the first five chapters or the first three chapters of Romans. Clearly, his first step was to show that Jesus was the person who fulfilled the prophecy. A description of the general character of Jesus and the way he suffered unjustly and was condemned to death would prove the point. No doubt Philip would have said more, whether uh, expounding the rest of chapter 53, but more than likely along the lines of Peter's sermon in, in Acts 2, if you can cast your mind back to Acts 2, especially verse 38. Um, and Peter, and it says, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we come on to a little bit, an interesting little detail. I guess this could be um, a little um, interesting um, excursion, because you'll notice um, that uh, verse 37 is missing. <laughs> um, if you look at the authorised version, verse 37 is there, but in, the, in the, the later translations and the later versions, 37 is missing. Um, and 36 says, before we come on to 37, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? So as I said, 37, verse 37 is missing in modern versions. It is thought... Um, that the early scribes saw fit to improve the text by adding this line, which is, you'll, you'll recognise the language from the AV, and it says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, it, it's basically it's the, the scribe um, in the AV, I thought, I'll tell you what, we'll add an extra verse in to, to, to complete the picture, you know, to have a, a, a profession um, from the eunuchs to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Oh, okay, then, let's, you can be baptised. Of course, this is theologically sound, but, you know, the, the scholars say it's not Luke's style. This aside... It can be assumed that the God-fearer, the eunuch, must have given Philip some evidence of his faith in Jesus, since there was no reason why he should not be baptised. So, satisfied that the eunuch was ready for baptism, Philip agree was agreeable to his request. The eunuch halted the chariot, and the two went into the stream uh, where Philip baptised the God-fearer. Um, and, and then you can get into uh, a punch-up. <laughs> a bun fight <laughs> as to whether it was by immersion or a, fu a, 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 a fusion. Um, it's not clear. doesn't matter <laughs> in this case. Then verse 39, it says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord was carried, the Spirit of the Lord carried uh, Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. As the text stands, the spirit snatched Philip away as the two men came up out of the water. And this is abrupt ending to the account. And the scholar, or the, the author, Howard Marshall, argues from the Greek, um, bear with me on this, that it is considerably eased by a longer form of the text which reads this. And when they came out of the water, the Holy Spirit fell upon the eunuch, but the angel of the Lord caught um, up Philip. 
Marshall does not give too much weight to this translation, but the unit went on his way uh, rejoicing, which allows to, us to infer that he received the Holy Spirit after uh, baptism. And we can see similar cases uh, when we look at Elijah in 1 Kings 18.12. You bear with me with it while I turn to that. 18.12. And it says, And now you say, Go and tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as... As I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know uh, not where. And so, when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although um, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. You know, this capturing up of Philip was something that was familiar in the Old Testament, where we see here with Elijah at the time. Uh, Ahab was looking for Elijah and the servant Obadiah I think it was was looking for him uh, but Elijah was well known for just disappearing being caught up by the spirit and going somewhere else uh, so this what this text is alluding to is here is the servant saying well look I found you uh, uh, Elijah but what's the chances that when I go back to tell Ahab where you are you've gone you know, the spirit of the Lord has taken you somewhere else and then Ezekiel 3.12 and um, 14 and 8.3, we see similar uh, cases of where the Spirit of the Lord takes a, a man and moves him from one place to another. And that's what we're reading again here in the New Testament. As, as the two of them come up from the water, um, the eunuch is, uh, is baptized by in the Spirit, but yet um, Philip is, if you like, translated to another place. And in Ezekiel, there is also similar snatchings away of these men in a miraculous fashion. And this would have been a powerful confirmation to the caravan, that this is the caravan of the eunuch, that Philip was God's representative. The account is of a similar structure of that of Luke 24, uh, 13 um, to 35. Does anyone recognise those, those numbers? You know, it's, it's, it's the road to Emmaus. You know, when Jesus, after his crucifixion, okay, uh, uh, appeared to the two talking. You know, well, what, what, are you on, what are you guys on about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, haven't you heard what's been happening in uh, Jerusalem? There's this man called Jesus. Da -da 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 -da, and then Jesus explains to them what had happened and then whew, gone. So this account is of similar structure to that of Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, where Jesus meets the two travellers on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to the travellers, discusses, discusses what has happened in Jerusalem, and then disappears. And then finally, in verse 40, but Philip found himself at, Zo at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns um, uh, until we came to C C Caesarea. So meanwhile, Philip had arrived in Azotus. Azotus was the first century name for the ancient Philistine city of Ashdod, located 20 miles north of Gaza. From this point onwards, Philip preached his way northwards to Caesarea, uh, which appears to be where Philip's um, 
uh, which seems to be where uh, Philip's home. And this is where he next appears settled in Acts 22, verse 8. So that's the text. We see the calling of Philip. <coughs> he, he's been called away from the, the action where the, 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 in Samaria, where there are converts, there's the move of the Holy Spirit, and he's been called by, specifically by the Holy Spirit to, to address a specific case in the south, which is described as a desert. He meets the high-ranking official. He crosses social barriers. He preaches the, go the, the gospel, according, uh, led by the Holy Spirit. You know, the eunuch was a God-fearer. He'd been travelling three months to worship with the Jews. He didn't, he didn't belong, but he wanted to belong. The, the, the scriptures said in the future that he would. And then Philip then provides the key of Jesus that then provides the hope. Now the eunuch has the hope and the excitement that he does belong through the Messiah. No longer is he excluded no longer is he excluded not only as a God-fearer or a proselyte, he, he now through Jesus Christ belongs to the family of God. No longer is he separated because of the structural religion at the time. Can you see the power of, of the text, the power of what had happened? This man, this eunuch who was excluded because of his physical makeup now could be included in the family of God. And this is, part, this is the good news that we have for the, the people at home, the people in Cliddock, that for the God-fearers, those who are searching for, for, for something more in their life, who know that there's something more as presented in the Bible, and they're looking for that peace like this eunuch to understand the Bible, they have that calling on their life to be brought back into God's family. And we're called as a church to facilitate that, just like Philip um, had done in the desert, in the wilderness. So as I say, what is this text calling our attention to today? It's a reminder that there are God-fearers, the elect, who are aware of God and his word, but do not know how to make sense of it, but have a calling from God in their lives. I was a God-fearer. I had a calling in my, in my life towards God. If, if, I did, if you said to me, David, just leave it. You know, it's all wrong. Um, you know, after I'd finished my, my, my studies, uh, physics is the answer. Um, the, the world view's correct, millions of years, da -da 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 -da. the man's view's correct, throw away God's view. It would have left a massive ache in my heart because of the call on my life. And I believe there are other people out there with a similar, in a similar position that have considered that man's word of what society is telling them, but they know that there's something more. They can see it in creation. They can see it in the stars, in what they study, and know there has to be a hand behind it, a higher being, so to say, a creator, a creator God. And to know that that creator God then is a father God, and who's part of the Trinity. And then um, he then sent this, the, the, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, to be that atonement, so then I can have the third member of the Trinity to be part of me. My goodness, what a powerful message. And 
it sits right. Yeah. And if you were to say, take that away from me, it, it would be a wrench. So there's callings on people's life that are to that such power, and I wanted to use my testimony to express that. There's a calling on their lives. And I just want to quote Thomas Watson on the subject of uh, effectual calling. It's, it's a bit long-winded, but there's two words I want you to, want to pick out, right? Profession and possession, all right? Just, just humor me for the last few minutes with this, okay? Um, prof profession and possession. You might know this, okay? So Thomas Watson on the subject of effectual calling says, there is an inward call when God with the offer of grace works grace. By this call, the heart is renewed and the will is effectively drawn to embrace Christ. Now here we go. The outward call brings men to a profession of Christ, but the inward to the possession of Christ. Let me repeat that. The outward call brings men to a profession of Christ and the inward call uh, to, to the possession of Christ. You know, so that missionary can tell me how to uh, explain the text um, like Philip did to the eunuch. He, he pre the, the missionary preached the gospel to me, explained the Old and New Testament, and it's like, you need to profess Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord, King and Saviour. Jesus Christ is my Lord, King and Saviour. No, there's something more than that. You know, that's the profession. By the, the missionary preaching to me, I have the profession. But it's a two-pronged attack. The possession, you guys know this, don't you? The possession is caused by the work of the Holy Spirit. You know? Profession of Christ and possession of Christ. You know, the possession is caused by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and we are uh, caused as, as a church to bring people to the profession of Christ by just preaching the Word of God. Easy. You know, we, we don't have to go into intellectual deep arguments about it. And, you know, he said, she said, I said um, from scholars way back in science and argue them down to the ground because you just go around in circles. No, preach the word of God. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Easy. So the outward call brings men to a profession of Christ and the inward to the possession of Christ. There is an inward call and an outward call. We're not called to convince but to preach and teach the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit which draws and convicts. And that, you know, for me, that, that releases a massive load from my shoulders. <laughs> it really does. Um, to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that is something else that we learn from this text in our evangelism to the elect. Not to be intimidated by social boundaries once they're convicted by the Holy Spirit to witness. If the Holy Spirit convicts you to go and testi testify to the professor of the department who you work for, you go and do it. And confidently explain the need of repentance in our lives to those people and the good news of Jesus Christ. You know? and, and that's the call uh, for, for us this evening as individuals. And, and I, I pray... Uh, in Jesus' name, that you're encouraged tonight uh, um, to, to, to look and identify those golden opportunities to preach to the God-fearers, <laughs> you know? Just tell them the Word of God. 
explain to them, expound the scriptures, like that missionary did with me. I wasn't looking for intellectual arguments as to why science was wrong. I wanted to know what God had to say. And that's what we're called to as a church. And um, I hope tonight this is an encouragement uh, and a word to us all, not only to myself and Adriana, but also to, to you this evening here in Cliddock. As we go into Holy Week, this passionate week of excitement of what's going to happen, you know, what we're going to celebrate, you know, uh, the, the reason for our life and our worship to God. We'll, we'll look for these golden opportunities and, and convey that message and use this week, not only this week, but uh, the weeks after.